Treatment uh, modalities will be case-based. Uh, Dr. School is well known to all of you. I won't go into any more details. Thank you. Thanks uh, very much. Uh, Steve, it's great to be back here in San Francisco and uh, great to have all of you here today. Uh, I'm going to try to um, go through a couple of uh, cases as an illustration of some of the um, emerging opportunities in treating hepatitis C uh, and to try to convince you that things are changing so rapidly that um, you probably shouldn't listen to the next hour, uh, no, just half hour of, uh, of these cases. But uh, I, I do hope that uh, at the end of the time you'll feel more um, excited about where things are going and want to get uh, into the uh, fray uh, with both your feet. If you think about where we are right now uh, with 4 million HCV-infected people in the U.S. compared to 1 million HIV-infected people, and the fact that uh, right now uh, the number of, of people prescribing 50% of the HCV medications in this country are about twice the number of people in this room. Uh, you realize that as these therapies get better, it's going to be crucial that more people get into, uh, the, um, into the comfort zone with treating people with HCV infection. And I would argue that it's not going to be the gastroenterologists. The ones who are doing it currently are the ones who like hepatitis C. The rest of them don't want anything to do with hepatitis C because they're much happier with their endoscopes and other tools. And they're not going to be interested in taking care of people with hepatitis C. The disease is moving from uh, being a disease of liver disease to being a viral disease. And people with experience with viral diseases, the same patient populations that we've been treating for years, are much more likely to be able to pick up the expansion uh, in uh, therapeutics uh, than the current treaters. And I hope that many of you in this room uh, will join uh, that, those ranks. So let's uh, start with a, uh, a little uh, ARS question. Uh, so you have a patient who walks into your office and uh, tells you they think they, they might be HCV infected. You have four choices. You can uh, refer them right away to a hepatologist. You can uh, do some initial studies to try to get an idea about whether they really do have HCV infection, then refer them. You can say, look, I can uh, uh, do the tests that are needed uh, and uh, get you started if you need to be treated. Or you can say, come back in two years when the therapies are better. So what are your, uh, what would you like to do here? Okay, so uh, a, a nice range of, of activities uh, with uh, very few people uh, planning just to turf them right away. All right. So let's uh, go through a couple of cases uh, that we'll um, use to illustrate some of the changing uh, perspectives. Um, these are the objectives of these cases. I hope that uh, you'll have a better idea about how to deal with co-infected patients, understand the evolution of the new therapeutic molecules, and think about where they might be treating and uh, might be setting in your decision about recommending therapy. Okay, so the first of the two cases is a uh, 26-year-old man who uh, has been on antiretroviral therapy for about a year and doing reasonably well on that. Uh, and uh, he's found to have a positive ELISA for HCV. He'd been HCV seronegative uh, when he was initially evaluated for his HIV infection uh, earlier in the year, uh, and he's not symptomatic. Uh, his, the, the past history is that uh, he had been um, uh, Found to be uh, HIV infected at a community testing site a year ago, was uh, evaluated for that, had moderately advanced HIV disease, started on therapy uh, for his HIV infection, did very well with uh, rise in his CD4 cell count to 
353 months later, undetectable viral load. Uh, it was negative for hepatitis A, B, and C at that time and didn't want any more follow-up uh, for uh, his hepatitis uh, status at the time of his initial HIV evaluation. His family and social history is uh, unremarkable. He works as a travel agent. He's sexually active and has some binge weekend unprotected serosorted sex. Uh, he drinks a bit, uh, does a little bit of methamphetamine uh, to uh, uh, embolden him on the weekends. Uh, he's not a tattooed uh, or tattooer, uh, and he ha doesn't have any injecting drug use. When you see him, he's well-developed, well-nourished, uh, doesn't have any evidence of acute or chronic uh, liver disease, uh, and uh, he uh, has an initial uh, laboratory evaluation that is reasonably normal. Normal white count, normal hematocrit, uh, but is found to have uh, LFTs of two and a half or so times normal, and a bilirubin of, of uh, just barely above normal. So at this point, uh, you have some options here in terms of, uh, of, of uh, viral evaluation. You can uh, do serologic studies for hepatitis A, B, and C, order a hepatitis uh, HCV RNA test, you can refer him for a liver biopsy, I guess if you don't like him. Uh, can order a heterophile test uh, or order an HCV antibody test. So uh, what uh, would you like to do at this point? Okay, so your options you, you chose fairly evenly between one and two. And those are very reasonable. I would. Uh, uh, think you should do all of the above, one and two, during the course of your the early part of the evaluation because you know he's seroconverted to hepatitis C virus over the course of the previous year. Uh, and it's possible, though, that he um, seroconverted early on and that what's going on now is an acute HAV or HBV infection. So you don't really know which hepatitis infection it is. You need to look at all three because the modes of transmission uh, can be quite similar for all three of them. Uh, and if he's HCV uh, seropositive now and was seronegative before, you need to find out whether he's actually got HCV infection. The way to do that is to cut to the chase and send an HCV RNA test. So you all are very much on the, uh, on the right track. That's true that people who, are, um, who have elevated LFTs can have uh, uh, EBV-induced mono or CMV-induced mono. But most people who are HIV infected have already been HCV or have already been EBV or uh, CMV infected uh, in uh, several years previously. It'd be unusual to be undergoing an acute CMV infection or acute EBV infection years after becoming uh, uh, HIV infected. So you went ahead and uh, you go ahead and get your laboratory test back, uh, and uh, you find that he's H hepatitis A. Uh, virus IgG negative by EIA. He doesn't have any evidence uh, in the laboratory of hepatitis B infection. Uh, his uh, HCV antibody test is again positive, as I said earlier. You don't have a, any problem yet with any of the um, uh, concerns you heard from Dr. O'Brien this morning, so you can order whatever you want to, and uh, being obsessive compulsive, you ruled out acute uh, uh, EB, uh, EBV or CMV infection. So they've got that back, and you can now go to the next step, uh, and your choices here are to order an HCV RNA level, uh, to order a plasma uh, HBV DNA level, to order an uh, IL-28B genotype for the patient, or to order an uh, HCV RNA level uh, and an HCV uh, genotype.
Okay, so you all, again, are right on the money. You, you want to uh, cut to the chase and find out uh, whether or not the patient has uh, um, uh, HCVRNA, what their HCVRNA level and what the HCV genotype is. Now, this is the right answer today, but several years from now, it may not be germane because we're uh, moving more and more to more efficacious uh, anti-HCV drugs, many of which are now pangenotypic uh, and that uh, will no longer require you to know the HCV genotype. But it's very useful these days to know which is the HCV genotype because it's important in terms of knowing uh, how responsive uh, the patient might be to uh, interferon and ribavirin in particular uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and which uh, HCV directly acting agents you might be able to be, uh, be using in the patient. HCV RNA levels um, uh, in the past were useful in not determining the rate of disease progression, but in helping you decide the likelihood of response to interferon and ribavirin therapy. People with levels of above 800,000 international units were less likely to be cured than those below. But again, as the therapies are getting better, these sorts of subtle differences are ones that are disappearing uh, with the more active therapies. The IL-28B genotype is a host genotype that has to do with interferon lambda, one of the natural, one of the innate immune responses to hepatitis C. And uh, one of the things that determines response to interferon therapy, uh, and indeed to other uh, therapies for hepatitis C, is the HCV, is the uh, IL-28B genotype of the, uh, of the host. Uh, African Americans uh, have a, uh, are less likely to have the so-called CC genotype, which determines a good response to uh, HCV therapies than Caucasians. Uh, and this accounts for most of the difference with, between interferon and ribavirin therapy uh, in African Americans and Caucasians. But again, with better drugs, uh, this difference is going away, and this will be more of an expensive laboratory test for dilettantes than something that really is worth ordering and uh, discussing in detail with the patient. Okay, so this is, these are the new CDC um, uh, diagnostic uh, guidelines that are coming out for hepatitis C therapy uh, that will be coming out hopefully in May. Uh, they're under kind of the usual uh, 27 layers of review uh, within the CDC at present. And what they mainly reflect is a major simplification of HCV testing uh, that uh, uh, is a result of better uh, antibody tests. Uh, as we uh, discussed early on, uh, if you're looking for HCV infection, the first thing you would want to order is an HCV antibody test. If this test is non-reactive, uh, it's very likely the patient is not infected unless they've been recently exposed uh, to hepatitis C. It, it takes several months to seroconvert. So as in the case with HIV testing, as you're used to it, if a patient has a recent exposure, you would want to repeat the test six months later to make sure that the patient wasn't in the window period before antibodies appeared. Uh, with the older tests, it used to be that, uh, for hepatitis C, it used to be that uh, people with advanced HIV infection or people who are immunocompromised for other reasons could sometimes have a false negative result. This is much less likely with the current generation 2.0 and 3.0 HCV tests that are made available uh, by, that are being used uh, by laboratories these days. If the test for antibodies is reactive, then there are two possibilities. Uh, one is that the patient uh, is HCV infected, and the other is the patient used to be HCV infected and no longer has virus there. Uh, 
If they are HCV infected, you confirm that uh, by sending an HCV RNA test. If the RNA test is negative, you conclude the patient doesn't have HCV now, but as in the case of the antibody test, if they've been recently exposed, they could be in the, in the uh, window period, you'd want to repeat it again uh, within the next six months to make sure you didn't test them too early. Uh, and if you detect HCV RNA, uh, then you say the patient has HCV infection, and this is someone who should be linked to care, either through you or someone who is uh, comfortable with taking care of HCV infection. So two weeks later, uh, the patient comes back, uh, says he's feeling tired, isn't really eating much. He has a relatively high HCV RNA level. His HCV genotype is 1A. Uh, genotype 1A is the most common genotype seen in the US and is one of the genotypes that is relatively difficult to treat with uh, interferon alpha. Again, uh, because uh, you're in an unlimited, uh, sky's the limit laboratory setting, you went ahead and tested him, he has a favorable genotype for hepatitis C responsiveness to therapy, and his liver function tests, if you get his, his hepatocellular enzymes, have continued to rise to about four times normal by this point. So this uh, is kind of a cartoon that depicts um, the uh, cascade of, of HCV, the natural history of HCV infection. If you have acute HCV uh, infection, uh, between 15 and 30% of people will clear the virus during the first four to six months of this infection. And the other 70% will go on to chronic disease. And over time, an increasing fraction will develop progressive liver disease, including cirrhosis, decompensation, and hepatocytic carcinoma. This, in the non-HIV-infected population, takes on average 20 to 30 years. In the HIV-infected population, the, uh, the tempo is, is, is uh, increased by about threefold. So these patients can get in trouble in eight to 10 years or sometimes even more rapidly. So this whole timetable is, is, is enhanced in co-infection. The other thing that's changed a bit is in people who are HIV co-infected, fewer people will resolve their infection during acute infection uh, than people who, are, uh, who don't have HIV in the background uh, interfering with their cellular immune response. Now, the uh, tempo of, of antibodies then to get back to where we were before, and, and RNA is this, if you uh, are uh, infected and you, uh, you start kind of following people from the event of infection, uh, with daily tests for RNA and antibodies, the first thing that appears are H, will be HCV RNA. And then uh, several weeks later, you can start detecting antibodies to hepatitis C. And these antibodies will persist for the life of the patient with a very slow decline if the patient then clears their HCV RNA. This clearance occurs in the first four to six months after the acute exposure. And as I said, this happens uh, up to a third of the time. The other patients will go on to chronic infection. In this case, both RNA and antibody uh, will persist. And these patterns are what you need to understand in terms of ordering, uh, knowing where the patient is in these two uh, graphics uh, in terms of deconvoluting positive and negative tests and combinations thereof. And this is one of the, uh, one of the earlier studies just looking at the spontaneous clearance rate. The point this one makes is that you have kind of a, gradual, a steady clearance of HCV until things kind of plateau about four months later. And this is a period of time and during which if you follow HCV RNA levels in the plasma, you might see them going up and down, up and down, as there is this uh, seesaw battle between the innate and adaptive immune response 
and HCV being able to establish itself in the liver. But once HCV establishes itself uh, about four months later, uh, this is remarkably stable, both the HCV RNA level and the fact that very few people spontaneously clear once you get to this point. Now, one of the more surprising uh, clinical uh, studies uh, I've seen in the last 15 years was this one. This was a study done, uh, uh, published in the New England Journal, uh, a one-armed observational study uh, with uh, a, uh, a handful of about 20 patients who had been uh, exposed to hepatitis C by needle stick or by injecting drug use in Austria and followed prospectively. Uh, and when HCV RNA appeared, treated uh, with, uh, with interferon and ribavirin. And you can see that the clearance rate, the success rate of treatment here with uh, a uh, therapy of just six months was 95%. In established HCV infection, uh, if you just take all comers, the clearance rate is only about 50%. So what this tells you is during this first period of several months of HCV infection, the clearance rate is extremely high and the virus is very vulnerable to therapy during the period of time when it's trying to establish itself in the liver, which makes it a very uh, worthy goal to try to diagnose people during this acute infection. Now this is a, uh, the next few slides are from a presentation that, jo that uh, Daniel Fuhrer gave at Croy last month, or earlier this month, uh, and uh, this was his experience in New York City uh, looking at people that he picked up HCV, HIV co-infected during acute HCV infection uh, to kind of take this a step further to get an idea about how people do if they're treated during acute HCV infection in co-infection uh, with the new agents. In the older literature, just using pegylated interferon and ribavirin, there are a number of studies that have been looking at the clearance rates. And you can see that with, uh, with six months of therapy, the clearance rates with pegylated interferon and ribavirin are in the range of 60 to 70 percent. So better uh, than in chronic infection. With co-infection, it may be as low as 30 percent, but not as good as in mono-infection uh, with 24 weeks of therapy. So what Dan Fuhrer did was said, what would happen if I'd used pegylated interferon, ribavirin, and telaprevir and treated them only for 12 weeks? And so he uh, looked at a series of 20 patients that had an 85 percent response rate uh, with a uh, treatment uh, course as short as 12 weeks uh, and presented this, uh, as I said earlier this month at Croy. Now there are some caveats here uh, that included the fact that a large fraction of his patients were this favorable CC genotype just by happenstance. But, but the important and the interesting thing was the course of therapy was so much shorter uh, than had previously been used. So uh, here you are with your patient. Uh, you uh, had heard about uh, the fear the data. Uh, I'm not going to ask you whether you would treat him, uh, but um, if I did, how many would treat him? Raise your hand. All right, how many would use three drugs as opposed to two of those who said they were treating him? So a subset of those. Uh, and this is really one of these judgment calls, because right now uh, the evidence is that uh, if you treat them during acute infection, they're more likely to clear. Um, on the other hand, therapy is getting a lot better, and they have a reasonable chance of clearing without you doing anything. This particular patient decided not to be treated, uh, and over the course of time, his HCV RNA fell, and he cleared the virus himself. Now, one thing that's important to tell him, though, is after having done this, um, he did clear HCV this time, but he can pick it up again. 
uh, and there have been a number of studies looking at people who spontaneously cleared HCV during, after a, 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 um, a sexual exposure, who then re-exposed themselves and got infected again, and this time the virus stuck. Uh, so that this doesn't mean he can't get infected, it just means that he was lucky and cleared at that time. There is some soft evidence that if you've cleared it once, you're more likely to clear it a second time, and that may be because of host genotype, CC genotype, more likely to clear it than all comers, but it's not a risk worth taking, and this would be a good opportunity to talk to him about, about risk behaviors. And it certainly reflects uh, kind of uh, the next uh, question here. So here's your, here's your next question. I've already kind of given you a head start on it. Uh, what would you like, how would you like to counsel this patient? Okay, so two and four are the correct answers. He can get it again if he's exposed. And this time, an HCV antibody test won't help him because he'll stay seropositive. So the way to, uh, to continue to follow patients who are at risk is to look for the recurrence of HCV RNA. All right, so let's, um, and this is just one of the several different uh, reports of clusters of cases of hepatitis C in urban areas among uh, MSMs. Uh, you all have certainly seen it here in San Francisco. Uh, and it's certainly something that uh, is an issue. Uh, most patients like this patient are either asymptomatic or only mildly symptomatic, uh, and uh, the way to follow it is with uh, uh, antibody tests if they're antibody negative to begin with, and with uh, RNA tests if they're antibody positive and had previously cleared. Okay, so let's go on now to a uh, the second patient. Uh, this is a 47-year-old African-American man uh, who was found to be uh, HCV and HIV infected six years ago. And at that time, he had mildly elevated uh, hepatocellular enzymes, um, relatively high HCV RNA level. He was treated for his, for his HIV, uh, and uh, at a relatively early time uh, in his HIV infection, even several years ago, reflecting the fact that we've been recommending for some time that people who are HIV infected who have hepatitis B or C be treated earlier because control of the HIV infection slows the rate of progression of their liver disease, whether you treat the liver disease or not. Uh, he listened to what you had to say and stopped drinking, uh, and his LFTs remain barely above uh, the upper limit of normal, uh, and he comes to you now saying he's heard about these new therapies and is interested in being treated. On physical exam, uh, he really has uh, no stigmata of, uh, of liver disease. Uh, and so at this point, uh, you have a choice uh, in terms of beginning to evaluate him. Which of these would you all like to do? Okay, so a viral genotype is very worth doing because this has a, uh, his, your ability to clear this, uh, if he turns out to be genotype two or three, is very high even without the new drugs these days. Uh, I would probably not jump right to a liver biopsy, um, both because um, I'm not a hepatologist and because we're, we're uh, getting better and better approaches to being able to assess advanced liver disease. Uh, it used to be you really kind of want to know where people were to know what the slope is. Now I think you could argue that you just want to identify the people that you really have to treat now. Uh, and uh, those that you really don't have to treat now, you really only have to hold the lid on for a year or two. 
until it gets less and less important to get tissue than it used to be. An ultrasound is worth doing. You can get evidence of uh, cirrhosis uh, and advanced fibrosis, which are worth uh, understanding because the risk of liver cancer, even if you treat as hepatitis uh, C successfully, doesn't go away in people with advanced cirrhosis. It decreases, but doesn't go away. An IL-28B genotype, again, um, you could get, uh, but uh, in, a, um, uh, in an African-American man, uh, is very likely not to be the favorable genotype anyway, and he's got enough other negative features for uh, HIV, uh, for HCV treatment success that it probably isn't going to be the determining feature, but if you're interested, you can certainly get it. Now, this just is a, uh, just to remind me that uh, this is what uh, Dr. Sag's liver looks like, this is what Dr. Treisman's liver looks like, uh, and over time, uh, uh, this occurs uh, in patients with HCV infection. It also is to remind me to say that when you do a liver biopsy, you're really just getting a small amount of tissue, and when you get repetitive biopsies in the same patient, depending on what you hit, there can be a fair amount of, of, of slough. So although people often call the liver biopsy the gold standard, you certainly can tell between this and this, but in between, uh, there's a lot of sampling error, and it probably isn't uh, fair to call it the gold standard uh, in terms of fine-tuning somebody kind of in the mid-range of... Um, of liver disease, which as I said is less important now than it, than it used to be. So you wouldn't, um, in this case, uh, the patient will just concede has moderate chronic hepatitis, hasn't yet developed uh, advanced disease with cirrhosis. And again, uh, no problems with laboratory testing, not surprisingly he has the wrong genotype. Uh, he's got a little bit of an elevated, a uh, little bit of a large spleen, he doesn't have any uh, hepatic masses, may have early cirrhosis, but it's not that clear. His HCV genotype 1B. So here are your, uh, if he wants to be treated, here are your uh, the, uh, recommendations you can give him. Uh, let's let you choose uh, uh, at this point, and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Okay, so uh, he's come to you and said he wants to be treated, and responding to that, uh, about 60% uh, of you said, okay, let's go with uh, uh, PEG uh, interferon ribavirin and telaprevir. Another 20% said bosepravir. Uh, there haven't been head-to-head -head, uh, test uh, studies of these two drugs. I think to make gross generalizations, uh, telaprevir may be a bit more potent, but a little more complicated to use because of side effects. Uh, bosepravir is a little bit better tolerated, may not be quite as potent, but these are both very reasonable options for treating people with, uh, with HIV or non-HIV uh, who have hepatitis C. And it's not unreasonable in this guy to say, look, I know you want to be treated, but just hang on a bit because you don't have, real, you don't have clear evidence of cirrhosis yet uh, and the therapies are getting quite a bit better. So this is kind of the old uh, uh, paradigm of how people did with uh, treatment uh, with uh, the old generations of, of hepatitis therapeutics. And with pegylated interferon and ribavirin, the success rate with a genotype um, uh, one uh, patient was in the range of 50-50. Success being uh, sustained virologic response, defined as having no HCV RNA present uh, 24 weeks after uh, cessation of therapy. 
Now, as the new regimens have been studied in clinical trials, it turns out that 95 plus percent of people who are going to relapse will have relapsed by week four. And so you'll see in these reports of uh, new directly acting therapies, uh, SVR4, which most of the time is pretty close to SVR24. But this is the classic definition. Uh, with genotypes one and four, you're here. And with, with uh, and as I already said, this, this guy, not surprisingly, an African-American has a TT genotype. Now, what do you tell him about his chance of, of succeeding with therapy? You can't tell him he's 50-50. This is Francesca Torriani's New England Journal of Medicine study with uh, pegylated interferon ribavirin. Uh, and you can see with genotype one, the success rate was only 30%. And this is all comers. This is a person uh, that you, in front of you who's African-American uh, and um, who, um, uh, is, is, as in this study, is co-infected. And uh, what you can see, though, is that as you add uh, ribavirin to telaprevir in co-infected patients, though, the success rate increases quite a bit, so that these patients are getting much closer to the results you see in people who are mono-infected. And the same thing is true for bisepravir. Uh, I didn't put them on the same slot because they weren't head-to-head -head studies, but it gives you an idea that that the success rate is close to double or so what we were getting before the addition of the third agent. Uh, now, in terms of the uh, experience with telaprevir uh, and uh, uh, favarins, you have to give a higher dose of telaprevir, uh, of, of telaprevir with the favarins because of drug-drug interactions. It's also important to realize that treatment is not the short uh, course of therapy, it's longer course of therapy that you'd have to offer in these days. Uh, and uh, when you do that, uh, you can see the success rates are really quite high. There are other drug-drug interactions that are important to know about. Uh, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here talking about them today because you basically need to look them up when you see what the patient's on in front of you because these data are emerging relatively rapidly. The ones you worry most about are protease inhibitors, though. Uh, and there are some protease inhibitors that are more effective than others. Uh, in terms of the drug-drug interactions. And uh, it's the, the effects are bidirectional. I've already told you that with, uh, with uh, telaprevir and efavirenz, there's a negative interaction uh, with telaprevir levels. Uh, and uh, you have to uh, increase the dose to get exposure that is similar to mono-infection. So in terms of acceptable regimens these days uh, for co-infection uh, with telaprevir, uh, you can use uh, raltegravir, uh, favarins with an increased dose, adazanavir, ritonavir, etravirine, or opilvirine, uh, but don't forget to boost, to boost it with telaprevir. So he decides he wants to be treated. He gets started. Uh, you're planning on uh, using three drugs for 12 weeks, and you're going to have to stop at 12 weeks because uh, with telaprevir, there's a very high rate of rashes at 12 weeks, and people don't get, we don't use telaprevir longer than 12 weeks. He, uh, his HCVRNA uh, level um, is, uh, I should say, his HIV RNA level remains undetectable, and most people who go on therapy do remain undetectable. It turns out that interferon itself has about a one-log effect on HIV RNA levels, so uh, most of the time people don't break through. His HCV RNA drops to below the limit of quantitation by week four, but it gets profoundly uh, uh, anemic uh, uh, four weeks later. 
So uh, he's really uh, determined to be treated. You give him a couple units of red cells, uh, and uh, four weeks later, his, his HCV RNA is down to 1,200 international units. Uh, and he's doing all right with his anemia. And to skip through the chase, the two slides I skipped because of time, uh, indicate that there's evidence that uh, there's an, in, uh, an interaction between uh, ribavirin and telaprevir with ribavirin levels being increased with more anemia, so that in a HIV-infected person, it's not at all surprising he got into trouble. So here's your last question. He's now got 1,200 international units of HCV RNA. Do you tell him to uh, stick with it and just keep taking his drugs, uh, stop the telaprevir, uh, and continue the PEG interferon and ribavirin, or stop all therapy and wait for better alternatives? Okay, so definitely uh, don't tell him just to suck it up. Uh, you really want to hear to, uh, uh, and, and I would argue that I would not tell him to do this because uh, his chance of cure at this point uh, by continuing for another uh, uh, 36 weeks is very low. Uh, and uh, it would be better to stop and wait for better regimens. Are they coming? In fact, uh, presented uh, at CROI this year was a study uh, with the uh, Tebotech, uh uh, protease inhibitor along with pegravivirin to cut to the chase. Uh, the response rates uh, are uh, really uh, quite good, either people previously failing interferon ribavirin or treatment naive, uh, success rates of 80 to 90 percent. Um, and um, uh, even with response guided therapy in people who've been treated for shorter than a year. So with these interferon uh, free regimens that are coming relatively rapidly, I think you can expect to see uh, response rates uh, that are much higher. Ribavirin uh, matters in the older uh, regimens, but with the more potent regimens, ribavirin doesn't matter. This is just a quickie through here with success rates. This is an Abbott combination of drugs and mono-infected patients, showing you success rates of nearly 100%. And a lot of the things that we uh, this is another sulfosbuvir and along with an NS5A inhibitor. This is where things are headed, uh, and when you're headed in the direction of more potency, interferon-free regimens, fewer drug-drug interactions, shorter treatment regimens, you can say to somebody, I can treat you now for 48 weeks, or wait for a year and treat you for 12 weeks, and you're about at the same place uh, in terms of their uh, treatment success rate. So I'm getting more and more conservative as these regimens are moving along, and as we're getting more and more experience early on in co-infection than we did with the first generations of these um, of these, co of these uh, new directly acting agents. So let's uh, stop here, and uh, I guess we have to maintain our uh, cadence of, uh, uh, with the um, uh, medical education police and let you uh, take your test again. Uh, having heard what you've heard, or uh, where are you now in terms of recommending, uh, telling people what you're going to do uh, when they walk in and want to be treated with hepatitis C? Okay, so more and more of you are thinking about getting involved, and I'm delighted to hear that. I think next year at this, at this course, you're going to see this really uh, even moving further out. This is a uh, very treatable disease, a very uh, a gratifying disease because we can cure it, uh, and one that uh, therapy is improving extremely rapidly. It's like 1996 was with, with HIV. Thanks very much.
Great, thank you. Don't go too far. Oh, come on. Um, we've got time for a few questions. Um, I guess the question is, I, I think you sort of alluded to this, that maybe in the future we won't need to do liver biopsies at all. Um, but in the meantime, is there a role for some non-invasive screening tests, fiber scan, if we can get it? What do you, what's your feeling about those? The uh, fiber scan is a, um, uh, a test that uh, is currently not approved in the U.S. Uh, it's basically a fancy ultrasound uh, and is not bad at detecting late-stage disease. Um, it's likely to be approved by the FDA within the next year, uh, we understand, uh, but um, uh, I think an early thing you can do is look at the platelet count. The platelet count's low, uh, below 150,000 or so, uh, certainly below 120,000. You really have to worry a lot about uh, more advanced liver disease and cirrhosis, hypersplenism. These are patients you probably want to get a hepatologist involved in, uh, in thinking about their care. Because if they have unrecognized decompensated liver disease, and that's generally having had hepatic encephalopathy, having, a var having varices, or having ascites, uh, these patients will decompensate in front of you if you treat them with interferon, an interferon-based regimen. And these aren't people that you should treat on your own. Uh, I think short of that, um, uh, if you have access to uh, one of these um, uh, non-invasive tests, it's reasonable to get, but they're not widely available. And I think where we're headed increasingly with better therapies, higher likelihood of success, shorter treatment courses, better, uh, um, uh, better uh, uh, response rates, um, better toleration, is not trying to wait until the last minute when you really feel like you have to treat the patient because the liver is so bad, but treating people earlier before the liver gets bad uh, and treating it as a viral disease, getting them a virectomy rather than trying to treat their hepatitis. Uh, and in that case, uh, the uh, number of people needing biopsies is going to get really, really small. In Europe, they're barely biopsying anybody anymore. So I, I would, uh, I think this um, is a disease in which um, clinical uh, uh, evaluation uh, is going to be more and more of an important uh, aspect of it. Tissue is not going to be, uh, and uh, as we get to interferon-free regimens, you probably won't even need to worry so much about more advanced liver disease. Both your cases, the patients were already on HIV treatment. Um, and we're all aware of the complications in their chronic Hep B patients and treating Hep B without addressing the HIV. Are there similar concerns with Hep C, either with established therapy, including teleprevir, bosuprevir, some of the new drugs, or can we, if patients say, I don't want to be treated for my HIV, but I want the Hep C treatment, do we, do we worry? You know, the early studies of these new agents of teleprevir and bosuprevir were kind of done in a, in a factorial design. Some patients were treated uh, without antiretroviral therapy. Uh, these are people with early disease who didn't need antiretroviral therapy. Uh, there were people, the other groups were people who were on stable antiretroviral therapy, and the treatment results were about the same. So uh, I think you can in many ways separate those two questions. It's not like a um, uh, 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 tuberculosis, for example, that you want to have the HIV under control before you treat the hepatitis C to improve the treatment response rate to hepatitis C with the new regimens. That's different from the older regimens. So I would probably have these conversations separately and think about the, um, about the stage of both diseases. Um, when we get to drugs that are less likely to interact with HIV drugs um, and uh, uh, in which the toxicities are less, um, it will matter even less. At this point, um, if you had somebody that um, uh, had a relatively early HIV infection, you're going to use one of the new drugs, and you don't want to have to worry about ravivirin and telaprevir and uh, 
um, uh, nucleoside analogs in the bone marrow, you could argue, uh, go ahead and give it a course of HCV therapy and then deal with HIV. With more advanced HIV disease, I'd argue, treat the HIV disease and maybe wait a little bit until you have uh, uh, interferon-free regimens that don't require uh, bone marrow suppressing uh, HCV therapeutics uh, to cure the HCV infection. Great. Unfortunately, we have some other good questions, but we need to move on. Right. Um, and so I'm going to call Dr. Sag and Dr. Dar back up for an, another set of uh, case-based um, <clears throat> discussions. Um, I think many of you got um, at your uh, desk um, the hot off the press uh, pamphlet from ISUSA. What's updated here is